We only have one scripture in today. I don't know if that should scare you or give you hope. I'm not sure. But we're in the book of John, and if you missed last week, we'll try not to, uh, we tried not to learn too much last week. Um, we only got to verse 5. Um, but, I, you know, I want to start at verse 1 again this week, uh, kind of as a review. We learned last week that John called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And uh, I think at one point in time, we, we all feel that way, don't we? Uh, or hopefully we should. But I, I think it was, you know, some of us kind of laugh and some of us think it's kind of prideful that, that John would even feel this way. But I, I think it's, the more I think about it, I, maybe it wasn't pride. Maybe it was John saying, man, I, I was a mess. You should have seen me before Christ got involved in my life. And he loved me. He loved me and he changed my life. Uh, you know, Jesus cared for me so much that, it, you know, today he's my best friend. I kind of I feel that's kind of how John was coming across. Uh, there might have been a little human pridefulness in there a little bit. But at the same time, I, I see him saying, man, I was loud and boisterous, and, and Jesus got a hold of me, and look what he's done. So maybe the statement is not based on pride, but based in I'm changed totally because of his love. So John writes about Jesus, and it goes like this in, uh, in uh, uh, John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And I don't know where Lisa is. Brandon, can you put the one slide up that we have? There we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we started out last week with a list of names that John uh, calls Jesus. And within five verses, he came up with five names for him. And it keeps up like this. We're going to have a huge list at the end of the book. But in the beginning was the Word. So we see that Jesus was the word, or, or, or the Greek idea of logos. John took this Greek word that meant so many different things philosophically, but it really meant the, the thing that binds everything together, the thought that ties all things together. But it's more than that. that. He's saying the word logos is God. He is God. And that's the second title for Jesus. For, you know, he is the Word and he is God. And this is very hard today, I think, because a lot of, a lot of people misunderstand what you mean when you use the term God. You know, you use the, the term Lord and, and about half the people will understand you. You talk about God and 95% of the people will misunderstand you. So what we have to say is I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That explains where you stand. Because even saying you're a Christian is a bit confusing nowadays. Especially with stuff like, I mean, uh, the Germans, they have the Christian Democratic Party. So the word Christian is part of their political spectrum, okay? And, and that confuses everybody, right? It's even, it's even hard because people will say, well, Christians, you're conservative, 
And, and I want to go, okay, well, now, okay, are you talking about conservative as in I live my life in a way that doesn't put me out there? I don't go get drunk. I don't do, you know, I don't do these things that are of the world. I do things of God. Or are you trying to put me into to the political spectrum? So we have to be careful when it comes to terms and what we're saying. The word Christian can be totally confusing. And it goes, you know, it, went all, it was like this all the way through. I think back to the Crusades. Christians were flat out killing people in the name of Christ. That's not a good thing. We have to state who we are following because we do not follow the Hindu God. We do not follow Eastern philosophy. We do not uh, you know, follow a disciple of a great teacher or someone like Gandhi or Muhammad. I serve Jesus Christ, the one and only true God. That is who we serve, and he was from the beginning before time. And that is what John is saying. And in the third verse is another title, by all things... Uh, by him, all things were made. So he's also the creator, and he is not born the same way. He, he existed before uh, his human birth in Bethlehem. Jesus existed in heaven before that birth. Jesus comes and says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I've been, I'm the beginning and the end. I've been here forever. So you have word, God, and creator, and then you have the word life in verse 4. In him was life. Jesus will go on and further, further later on and say, I am the life. More than just a, you know, it's more than just Jesus possesses life or hands out life, which is good enough. He's saying, I am the life. That's what he calls himself. And you have to sit there with that one for some time because it's almost like uh, we have to tell John, whoa, 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 slow down here, you're going too quick. I mean, it, for some, it's, it's really simple, we can understand it, but for others, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let's look at these words. And then you have the fifth title, he is the light of man. And this is where we want to put our focus on today. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's look at the word comprehend or overcome. And the light shines in the darkness. And, and notice the, presence <coughs> the present tense here. Not the light used to shine in the darkness until they killed it on the cross. No, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus still shines today. And how does he do that? He does it through you and I. He does it through his word. He does it through his deeds. And the darkness has not overcome it. The Greek word is katalabana. And, and so we have to figure out the word. And you have to look at the Greek philosophy, the Greek law. Because and, 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 you have all these different ways that, that those words would be used. And then you've got to throw out you know, all the ways that it, that it couldn't be used. Because Greeks, you know, the Greek word can have eight to ten different English translations for it. And in some ways, it's, this is the beauty of it, you know. In other ways, it kind of can be confusing and, and people start fighting over different words. But, but you don't have to get one meaning out of it. And depending on which translation you read, and, and most translations are really good. I mean, the RSV is a great translation, but try to read that out loud. It's, you'll just slaughter it. 
I mean, I have bad enough time with the NIV, you know, uh, RSV I couldn't do. New King James is, is a great translation. King James, if you're from that era, you understand those words and so forth. That's a great translation. Um, but there's so many different translations, but the translator may pick one word where another translator may pick a completely different word to describe the Greek. And this is why it's important for us not to fight over English words when it comes to the Word of God. We have to go back and find out what the meaning was. What were they trying to talk about? Because, you know, we can just say, well, it's right here in the English. And you may totally miss the whole meaning of what he's trying to say. So in the New King James, it says, darkness did not comprehend it. So darkness could not understand it. Now, some of you, who allow Christ to be active in your life are sitting there and thinking there are those around you that do not understand you in your life. Do you relate to this? You say you're a Christian, you act certain ways, and there's other people around you that just, they don't get it. Or you go out into the world, and the world says, oh, I understand you. You Christians are awesome. No, they don't do that. They don't understand you. They don't comprehend you. And you should try to explain yourself to them. And John will get to this later on. But, but it, you know, in the right time, the right settings, bring it up in the right way. And many will still not understand what you're trying to say. And things seem almost hopeless sometimes because they will not understand. Because there are many who live in the darkness. Now, there are many things out there and many, many people will wonder stuff like, why are you going to church? Why do you tithe? Why are you wasting your time? Don't you have other things that need to be done? Do we, we all have things that need to be done, right? I got a tree that needs to be cut down. I think I'll just take next Sunday off, and I'll cut down a tree, and one of you can preach. Who's going to preach? No volunteers? <laughs> but that's how the world views it. Why are you wasting your time here? They don't understand our need to worship. They don't understand our need to, to come to the Creator and bow down before Him. And because some of, some of you will not get uh, uh, promotions because of what your beliefs are. Or, or people take jabs at you. Or you know, even family members will come at you and they'll just, you know, they'll just knock you down every chance you get for what you believe. And usually, they don't understand because you are light and they are part of the darkness. And hopefully when this happens, when you get bumped, because we're all gonna get bumped, right? Hopefully what sloshes out of you when you get bumped is Jesus and not the world. We shouldn't be fighting back the way the world fights. So the baseline is that the world just won't understand it. But there's another word here that it also means. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot possess it, cannot overcome it, or overpower it. So even though the darkness cannot understand it, it cannot overpower it. And some of you may go, well, Pastor Hal, that's kind of funny, because, man, I, I kind of feel overpowered right now. 
overpowered at my job or overpowered with my family or overpowered with this world and, and COVID and, and certain rules and regulations. And, you know, I feel like I, I'm, I'm only at my one in my job or I'm only one in my, my marriage. I feel like the darkness is maybe overpowering me. But there's a little flame there that needs to be fanned. And what happens when you fan a flame? It gets bigger. The oxygen gets to it, and it gets bigger. It needs to get bigger. You need to get some sticks. You need to get the Word of God and make it bigger because the person trying to overwhelm you is trying to control the Jesus that's within you. Don't let someone take control over the Jesus that's in you. So ask the Lord to help you show Jesus more and to live with the light in your life. So the darkness cannot overpower it. It can't understand it. It can't comprehend it. And the last one is it can't extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about the nature of, of this light, that it's impossible to extinguish it. It can't be done, but the darkness keeps trying. There are times like it seems like the, the darkness has overwhelmed it so much that it extinguishes that light. But throughout history, there have been times. I mean, think about this. Who is writing this? The Apostle John. He lived for 60 years past the crucifixion of Christ. And he will live almost to the turn of the century. And as a young man, he stood at the foot of the cross and saw them try to extinguish that light. He saw the whole process. To watch, what, to watch what happened and, and how they did it. What John saw was a body go limp and physically the body died. He experienced the despair of it all. All the thoughts that would go through your mind at that point. But Sunday rolls around and Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, his body died, but the spirit did not. So after witnessing all of this, Jesus was you know, only with them physically for another 40 days or so. And by Acts chapter 4, John stood with Peter before the Sanhedrin. Now you're going, okay, what do you mean the Sanhedrin? Well, the Sanhedrin's the same group that crucified Christ. The same guys responsible for, for, for killing him on the cross before he rose from the dead. However, now that same light is living <coughs> in Peter and John. And Peter's standing before the same guys, you know, Peter who, who denied Christ. And now he's before them with John, and they're being arrested, and they're, <coughs> sorry, I'm dealing with this cold. But they drug him before them, and the guys said, the Sanhedrin said, you need to shut your mouth. No more talking about Jesus. You can't talk about Christianity in the workplace. It's against the law, they told them. You can't talk about Christianity in the classroom. It's against the law. You can't talk about Christianity out there on the street. It's against the law. And we think, oh, that happened way back then. That's not happening today. Well, did you know there was a trial this last week for leaders in Finland who tweeted out a scripture? And now they're being tried for hate crimes? Today. They're saying it's against the law. And we're going to see this more 
and more. The control of that narrative of what's allowed to be said and what's not allowed to be said as we get toward the end times. But these guys, through the help of the Holy Spirit, they said, forget you. We're going to keep speaking. You can do everything to us, but we're going to keep speaking. And that's how we need to do it. We need to stand up for truth. We need to stand up for light. And the Sanhedrin didn't know what to do, and the world doesn't know what to do. They just kind of dismissed them, and they went back to their prayer meeting, and they celebrated being persecuted. And then in Acts chapter 7, the world stood by when the first follower of Christ was literally stoned. A Greek guy guy named Peter, and we don't know if Peter and John were actually there. This is a different guy. But there was only one guy there who who was a guy that, that we know, a guy named Saul. And part of his salvation was this execution of a Christian. And it's so weird because, you know, we feel like we're being so persecuted. But nothing good can come out of persecution. And when they're extinguishing, uh, you know, a light, yet something good came out of this. It was probably even part of the Lord's will for the light of Stephen to be snuffed as they beat him and stone him to death. And yet what did it result in? Saul being converted. And Acts, you know, two chapters after this, Christ appears to Saul and says to him, why do you insist on persecuting me? And Saul could have said, well, I was persecuting Stephen, not you. He was the one breaking the law. But instead, he asked an important question. Who are you? And his salvation was tied to the persecution of someone else. So the next time you feel like you're being persecuted, ask the Lord, is this part of your will? Because it may be to bring somebody into the kingdom. But we don't like persecution. I don't like persecution. Do you like persecution? No hands. I I don't understand that. Imagine our light being extinguished and a part of somebody else's salvation. See, John was, was witnessing more than these things happening at the beginning. When the Romans finally took over and the Jews, uh, they, they, they started persecuting the church. When the Romans took over and everything, I mean, they became incredible and efficient at it. John saw all of his friends martyred. He was the last of the original disciples alive, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos. He lived to see the darkness trying to extinguish the light. In AD 65, he would have either witnessed or heard about the execution of Peter and Paul on the same day in Rome. You know, the Romans took two of the church leaders, two of the key leaders, and tried to extinguish the light. James had already been killed. They pushed him off the corner of the temple on a Jewish holiday. Happy holiday. Everybody gets an extra day off, right? So they took care of Peter and Paul. And what it did was backfire on the Roman government. So when John says the darkness will try to extinguish the light, but it cannot, he knows what he's talking about. Now, in every century since, this darkness has tried to extinguish the light of Jesus. They just use different methods. 
At first it was the Jews, and then the Romans, and then in 325 it became the approved religion. Christianity became approved, and it was actually worse for Christianity. Because what they did is they changed tactics. Well, if we can't kill it out of them, let's water it down. Now, we all love watered down whatever our favorite drink is, right? Just pour a little extra water in there. It'll go a little further, right? No, we usually spit it out, don't we? After a while, you know, you go back to that drink and all the ice is melted. And you t- you're like, ugh, let me pour that out. And that's the tact that, G- uh, that, that, that the enemy had for Jesus. So the name Christians became something that didn't mean much. And then the Muslims came through. There was a period of time when, when the church tried to, ex- <coughs> tried to extinguish Christianity. Can you imagine the church itself doing this? They were killing people for reading the word of God. It was illegal for you to read the Bible. The church was doing this. How crazy is that? Their own pope said it was a, the ultimate sin to read the word of God. It's kind of interesting. They, they allow them to read the Word of God today, don't they? They burned them at the stake in the 1500s. You wouldn't dare carry a Bible, much less have 16 of them in your home. Wait, do you have that many in your... Okay, well, anyway, that's a whole other topic. So it's a sad day when the enemy uses the church like this. Could you imagine the devil using the church for anything that, you know, this, this would never happen today, right? Darkness would never invade the church. Darkness would never try to hurt the church. But we have to be aware, darkness still exists. Communism came into the world. But this isn't the greatest threat to the world, I think. I think it's the Muslims. Many of them are peaceful, but many of them are not. Thomas Jefferson, you know, back at the beginning of the country's history, understood this. I mean, the first overseas battle for America was, was against the Muslims, right? Remember the song, the song to the shores of what? Tripoli, right. So we need to be praying. We need to pray for Christians around this world that they can withstand the persecution and be able to say, I am a follower with Christ and be able to publish that out there without the fear of persecution. But if they are going to be persecuted, may it be for the glory of God. If you're reading, you know, interested in reading more about persecution around the world, the, there's a gr- great book. It's been around for a while, but it's by DC Talk called The Voice of the Martyred. Martyrdom is, a, is part of Christian heritage, and I hope it never comes to America, but I fear that it will someday, and we need to be ready for it. And killing Christians always backfires. It just takes longer than we expect. The People's Revolution in China tried to push out Christianity. Communism is really about godlessness. And Christianity is the opposite of that. And the darkness will always, will will try anything, including politics, to get Jesus out of everything. It's interesting, we act like communism is over, but we see it rearing its ugly head, don't we? It's just been very subtle the last 20 years. You have billions of people in China 
And then 90 miles off the coast of, of Florida, there's a communist state. But communism under Chairman Mao tried to get rid of all the churches. They burned the churches. And what did it fuel? It fueled home Bible studies. It's the largest group of small groups in the whole world is in China. So the church in China is actually stronger than, than it is in America right now, I dare say. We need to keep praying for them. There are things that, that we could talk about here, like Chairman Mao making Christians uh, to be postmen. Did you know that? Postmen in China were such a menial task, they were looked down upon. And what they ended up doing was funding the largest door-to-door witnessing campaign in the whole world, you know? How awesome is that? They weren't paid. They were basically like prisoners, yet got to share the word of God, to, you know, Christ to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. That was 60 years ago. Let's talk about India. My wife and I have supported Gospel for Asia in the past, and it's a great organization. And, you know, it's really tough being a Christian in India right now. In the late 90s, a political party came to power, and this was the radical party of Hindus, and and most Hindus are pretty peaceful. They're wrong in their worship, they're wrong in who they worship, but most of them are pretty peaceful. But there's a radical Hindus that believe that all Christians and Muslims ought to be killed. Have you noticed a trend here? Everyone says, my religion is right, so you should die. I don't get that. And here the Christians are saying, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ saves me, and I don't want you to go to hell. You know, let me tell you about my God instead of let me kill you because you don't believe what I believe. This extreme Hindu group came to power, and the prime minister got the power, and they marched around like, like the, you know, almost like the Nazi party to intimidate there's one province in, in Orissa, which, had a, which is a huge part of the country, and, and the persecution of Christians is, is normal there. And even the non-Indian Christians in this area are being martyred in the name of Hindu gods. So what is happening in Orissa is the persecutions of the Christians are at the extreme, even to the point where the gospel for Asia said, guys, we don't want you there anymore. As in like their, their leadership, those that are going out and, and trying to plant churches. Get out of this area right now. Too many of you are being killed. And their reply was this to, to the leader, KPO, K, KPO Hannon. We will leave if this, is, if this is what you require of us. But, you know, however, we must argue, that, that, argue with you that God has placed us here and God will protect us. And if God takes us, in other words, if we die, we will go willingly. We promise you that we will not shame the name of Jesus Christ or the gospel for Asia. But do not shame us by withdrawing us from these villages. How many of us would say that? So they allowed them to stay. Many of them paid for it with their lives and their homes. Right after this happened, a cyclone hit. Uh, it had 30-foot waves and 185-mile-per-hour winds, and it killed 200,000 people. And it was on CNN briefly, and then this, this was back in the 90s. So then, you know, it went right back to, to Monica Lewinsky on CNN, okay? 
Because that's so much more important, isn't it? In 38 hours, 200,000 people were killed and 12 million people left homeless. What's fascinating about this is not a single Gospel for Asia guy got killed by the cyclone. And these guys were the ones that started building back. And they started with the people who were trying to kill them. They went and rebuilt homes. They went and rebuilt offices. And while they were rebuilding, they were singing about Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. And they were the only ones that were helping. Why? The government left the area. This group said, I'm going to be the light for Jesus, and the darkness cannot extinguish me. Now, another fascinating thing happened here. The prime minister of England at the time worshipped the Hindu gods, and the Hindu gods are, are very mean, very vengeful. Uh, uh, <coughs> so the leader of Indi India concluded the following, that Jesus, the God of the Christians, is mad at the province of Orissa for how they treated Christians, so he decided the army needed to go into Orissa and protect Christians to appease the Jesus God. I mean, yeah, exactly. It kind of, when you think about it, it blows your mind a little bit. Now, we don't believe that Jesus sent this cyclone in there, you know, but nevertheless, the people did and declared the year of 2000 for the Christian leaders to educate India about Christianity. So a whole new government now knows about Jesus in India all because of this happening. Then in 2008, they started persecuting them again. How quickly things change, right? Oh, we love you. Now let's try to kill you. You know, it's all on whims. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. So you say, what about America? Well, I think the darkness is trying to extinguish the light in America also. One generation ago, it, you know, it was, uh, it, it was more in to be a Christian than it is today. One generation ago, the Ten Commandments and other Christian things were acceptable and known by the majority of the population. Now they're not even known by the majority of the church, it seems like. So how is the darkness trying to extinguish the light now? Through a whole new methodology. In the first century, you said the word light. They didn't have light bulbs. They didn't have LED bulbs. They would think of an oil lamp. And the oil lamp needs what? Heat, fuel, oxygen. Now, in America, there hasn't been an outright attack for the most part. It's slowly getting there. But it's been, let us try to take away one of these. The heat, the oil, the fuel, the oxygen. And once it goes, it dies. So what is the fuel? Well, the heat is the word of God. Have you noticed today, uh, the, the, the church today, that the word of God is not even popular to read or to teach? I mean, it seems like to me, all the ones that are on TV, all the ones that are out there, you know, the exciting churches is all what? Name it and claim it, or feel good sermons, or, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect and our church is the only way. I'm not trying to say that. We, we have some good churches here in Tulare and so forth, but these churches that only teach prosperity, there's a problem with that. That is not the word of God. 
And some of you would say, well, Pastor Allen, you only taught one verse today. Yeah, but it's a very important verse. Well, okay, they're all important, but I know what you mean, you know? We'll go faster sometimes, we'll slow down other times, but we are going to teach the Word of God, and I wish we could fill these chairs with people who hungered for it. It is the fuel for our fire. So what is the heat? The heat is the the salvation, the joy of our salvation. And even if we've walked with the Lord for a long time, we need to, you know, we have to pray along the lines of David, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Don't let me become churchy. Don't let me believe just because my parents believe. You know, my relationship with God has to be on my own. Don't let me be a religious person. Don't let me just be a Christian guy. I have to be on fire for Jesus. And this can't be self-generated. It has to come from the Lord. And it helps when we get the fuel. Because when we get the fuel, he lights the fire. So what is the oxygen? The oxygen is the atmosphere. What is my atmosphere? The Holy Spirit. And in him we live, and by him we move. It's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed the the American church, the Holy Spirit, in in many ways is not there? That the oxygen is gone? If you want to see where we're headed, look at the churches in Europe. They're about 40 to 50 years ahead of us. And they're they're, they're introducing a lot of earthly philosophies into the church. It's our job as individuals in America to not allow that to happen and to allow the Holy Spirit to be involved. We've got to break through the religion and have a relationship with Jesus. We've got to stop being afraid of the Holy Spirit and allow him to fill us. We need to seek the word. We need to seek the Lord and say to him, Lord, I want to be filled by your spirit. I need your spirit to walk through this week. I need your spirit, the comfort of knowing that you're right here with me in whatever I'm going through. And it may be a stupid situation with a coworker, or it may be a life and death struggle. And the amazing thing is, he is there in both situations. We need to stop playing church. We need to be the flame that, needs, uh, that, the, that, the, that God needs us to be in this world. Because we live in a dark world, don't we? We do. We need to be the light. We need to look around and find the light. And it's the light of Jesus. And it lives in us. It lives in me because I'm a follower of Christ. It lives in you because you are a follower of Christ. It's important to know that but it's more important to act upon that in this world. Be the light that draws people out of the darkness. And Lord willing, we will fill these chairs one day to God's glory, not our own. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and finishes us for today. Lord, you're an amazing light that we just cannot comprehend sometimes. We get little nuggets and and we pray that your Holy Spirit reveals more and more of you into our lives. Lord, this world is dark. This world pulls against the church. 
It pulls against the Christians and tries to extinguish us, tries to overcome us, tries to overwhelm us. Lord, and I pray that we look toward your spirit. We look toward each other and and gather that strength of the community of the church that we can change this world, that we can be the light of this world through you for your glory. And Lord, one day when you call us home, may we be there when you say, good done, well and faithful servant. Well done. Lord, we don't want to stand before you and not have you say that to us. We want you to say, well done. And I pray that you give us the strength to be that light in this world. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen.